It is good to see you. It is good to see you. I, I, I love the old joke about the lazy fisherman, who instead of using a rod and reel would use dynamite. He would just simply throw a stick of dynamite into the water. It would blow up. The stunned or dead fish would come to the top. He'd dip them out and come back to the marina and brag about the mess of fish that he had just caught. Well, but word got around about his technique. Uh, A game warden heard about it and set a trap for him. He knew where his spot was, so the game warden waited. After the first explosion, he sped up to the boat, pulled alongside, and said to the fisherman, you know this is illegal. Yep. You know I'm going to have to impound your boat and cite you for uh, letting off an explosive device in the lake. And with that, the fisherman quietly reached down into his tackle box, took a, a stick of dynamite, lit it, tossed it over into the warden's boat, and said... Friend, are you going to fish or cut bait? That if it went off, it'd be okay. All right. Church, it's time for us. It's time for us to fish. Are we just going to continue to cut bait? You know, society has stolen the narrative of the gospel. Uh, They make Christians out as judgmental, unthinking Christian robots. Are we going to fish or cut bait? The time has come for us to reclaim the narrative, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to step into the crisis of our day, with a new message, with hope. Hmm. Our world needs a Savior who loves us, who offers us grace and restoration. That's why one of our primary values of the church is that we value transformative truth and grace as we become more and more like Jesus. This morning I want to talk about The grace and truth of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our redeemer. May these words be your words. And for every word that I don't speak that you would have me speak, O God, fill in the gaps with your Holy Spirit. For I pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Jesus was again eating with publicans and sinners and those of ethnic rejection, the Samaritans and the, and the Gentiles. And the Pharisees couldn't miss another opportunity to criticize Jesus. And so they gathered to hear him teach and to ask him questions. Luke tells us that these parables in chapter 15 were primarily addressed to the Pharisees. Now, the word of grace and God's mercy was not new to the Pharisees. They knew it. But in this particular case, Jesus tells it in a different way. Um, He tells three parables. The first is about a shepherd who loses his sheep. 
Which one of you, having a hundred sheep, losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Jesus starts with an, with an easy one. I mean, for goodness sakes, what shepherd who has lost a sheep doesn't go out and find it? It's economics. You, know, you don't want to lose your, 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 well, your, your flock. You go out and find it. The second is even easier. A what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. Who would not search their house for a day's wages? I, I would. I'd do whatever it took to find that check. I'd clean it up. I'd go through every drawer. It's economics. Do the math. And I'm sure at this point that the Pharisees must have been thinking to themselves, well, this is not so controversial. Maybe Jesus is not as bad as we have heard. But Jesus is using an old debate tactic where you... you, you you share with people what they already know, what they're going to find agreement, invite them in, and then twist the knife. It is the third parable that is scandalous. It is about a son who is disobedient. It starts with these words. And Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. It's a story about this younger son who goes to the father and asks for his inheritance. And the inheritance is given. He goes off. He wastes it. And then he comes back to ask for forgiveness and is restored. Now, wait a minute, Jesus. I I can just see the reddening of the Pharisee's face. Wait a minute. What father does this? What father divides their inheritance before they die? And no father allows disobedience. Our God does. Our God does. Because God knows that we cannot make it on our own. And until we fully realize the failure of our human existence, we cannot fully accept God's grace and mercy. So the Father does. And the son gets what he deserves. He lost everything. So he went and hired himself to one of the citizens of that country who sent him out to to the field to feed the pigs. In the Jewish community, a pig was an unclean animal, unclean not only for sacrifice but for eating. Even today, in Jewish communities, they're restricted from eating pork. Forbidden. So, in other words, it was so bad that this good Jewish boy was not only taking care of an unclean animal, but was eating the food that the pigs ate. That's pretty bad. And and we almost miss one of the most important phrases of the entire story. In verse 17... It says, but when he came to himself, when he came to himself, the son came to him, 
the self that God had made. The son came to the person that God had made, that God had nurtured, that God had created. None of us were made to live in social or spiritual squander. We were made to live with God, to be the people of God together. And when the son realizes who he was and whose he was, he came to himself. And he said, I'm going to go home. You see, he had grown up watching the way that his father had treated others, had watched the way that he'd even treated the servants. And he, and he said to himself, you know, my father's servants are better off than I am. I'll go up, go back and give up my sonship, give up my place in the family just to be a servant of my father. The father was waiting in anticipation. It says there, while he was still far off, his father saw him. Our God never forgets us, no matter what. No matter where we go, where we've been, what our circumstances, God never forgets us. And God is always looking for us. In my mind, I can only imagine the father that would come out in the evening and sit on the porch and watch down the road. Maybe, maybe this will be the day that my son will come home. Maybe this is the day that he will come over the horizon. Knowing one day he would come home. Now, usually, a disobedient son would be treated with contempt. They would have to prove themselves, to prove themselves worthy to get anything at all in terms of... Of, 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 of mercy or grace, much less any kind of acceptance. But here's what, here's what Luke tells us. And Jesus said, he was filled with compassion, the Father, and he ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Actually, the Greek word translated there, kiss, is the word katafileo. Uh, it means to kiss fervently. To kiss without stopping. He kissed him much. He was so happy to see the son that he he didn't hold back any affection. The son resisted, protesting, and began with his rehearsed confession. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father would have none of this. His son was back, and the time of restoration had come. And so what the father does, he puts a robe on his back. The robe, particularly the fine robe, was a symbol of the covering of sins and the separation of of, of having authority within the community. And he puts a ring on his finger. Uh, The ring had a signet on it that those in the family could do business again. They were returned to their place in the family when they wore the ring. And shoes on his feet. Slaves didn't wear shoes. Free men wore shoes. The son was fully restored in his confession. Full, unmerited, restoring grace is given.
And the father even goes farther. He says here, and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. There's a celebration uh, that included a killing of a fatted calf that was like a, maybe two or three times in a lifetime. I mean, this was a big deal. To kill the fatted calf, that was the greatest celebration that a family could have. And the father says, you know, my son that was lost is home. He's found. And it's the same kind of celebration that happens in heaven when we are found. I'm sure that the Pharisees were disgusted by Jesus' parable. You know, they could, they could deal with the first two. But this unmerited grace, why, Jesus, if, if God operates in this way, then anyone can claim the treasure of eternal life. Duh. That's who our God is. That's who our God is. We need to reclaim the narrative of God's love and grace. Lately, I've been doing research on the Internet, trying to, what is the Christian community, what is our leaders saying about the current situation within our culture? I don't find much hope. Those who talk about the demise of society as we know it today, those who talk about the, uh, about the failure of the church, the end of civilization as we know it. Many church leaders are just wringing their hands and looking to total collapse. Judgment is coming. Just watch and wait. God has given up on us. As I've said before, you know I don't believe that. I don't believe that. (laughs) As I've said before, the further our culture gets from God, the closer we get to revival. The further our culture gets from God, the closer we get to a realization of who God is. Church, are we going to fish? Are we going to fish or cut bait? Are we going to stand by and watch the demise? Are we going to step in with a new narrative, not of judgment and condemnation, but rather of grace, of God's love, of God's restoration, of what God can do? We've got to turn our attention away from a scathing condemnation of the world and pointing to our own righteousness and instead look to the good news of Jesus Christ. And instead of asking the question, oh my, what are we going to do? All is lost. Instead, just the simple questions. Lord, where do you want me to go? To whom do you want me to speak? What words would you have me to say? There are those, everybody in this room and online today, there are those who are waiting to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are those in your life that are waiting right now just to hear a word of grace and forgiveness. Waiting. And God waits. And the world waits for those persons who will give themselves wholly and completely 
to the work of God in Jesus Christ, of reclaiming that narrative and stepping into the crisis to speak the name of Jesus and what God can do through those who proclaim that name. John Wesley said this, he said, Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not a straw whether they be clergy or lay, let alone, such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. It doesn't take many. That's how incredible and powerful our God is. Lord God Almighty, we need you now more than ever. Lord God Almighty, start here with us. Lord God Almighty, start here with me. Start now. Show us your love. Show us your grace. Show us your power. Let your revival roll down like a mighty thunder that we may see it and know it. It was a snowy afternoon. And the pastor had finished his work for the day at the church and he was putting on his coat and his scarf. It was cold. When a light knock came at his door and he said, come in. One of the teenagers from his church silently and timidly walked in and she said, Pastor, I need your help. And he sat down. He said, sit down. Tell me, tell me what's going on. And she said, well, I'm pregnant. And this was back in the day where any kind of pregnancy without marriage was a scandal. They were often not only rejected by the community, but by their very own families. And she said, you know how strict my dad is. I, I'm afraid to go home. Could, could you help me go somewhere where I can, where I can have my baby? Well, they talked for a while. And finally she said, Pastor, I hear what you're saying, but I don't even know if God forgives me. And they, they began to talk about how much God loved her. And how there was nothing that God could not forgive they prayed together, and again, she asked, he asked her, can I call your dad? I, I know he's going to want to see you. I'll go with you. I will sit with you, and if he rejects you, I promise you that I will make sure not only that there is a place for you to go, but that you will have a future. She agreed. He made the call. The father agreed. It wasn't very far from the church to the house, but the minutes seemed like hours as they sat in silence. When they turned down the street where, where she lived, they could see down on the curb the massive frame of her father standing there, short-sleeved with no concern for the snow and the cold. She took a stiff, short breath, anticipating the worst. As they rolled almost to a stop, 
The father grabbed the handle on the car door, pulled it open, and with one arm gathered her up into his arms. And he said, darling, I love you. I love you. How in the world could you ever believe that I would reject you? Together we can do this. I will never forsake you. And then he looked into the car as he held her tightly and he said, Pastor, will you come in and pray with us? Because I want to make sure that my daughter knows that just as our Lord loves her, so does her family. And there is nothing that we cannot face together. Nothing. The time for condemning is done. The time for sharing grace and love should begin. We value transformative grace and truth as we, begin, as we become more and more like Jesus. Say it with me. Let it begin 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 with me.